Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be looking at one particular verse that almost is the bedrock of a foundation and to understand humanity. As you saw in the prophecy video, our taxpayer money is being used to fund abortion or the murdering of babies. And now, as you've seen, we've talked about it several weeks now. We have issues where infanticide is being upheld in several states where it's even possible to execute a baby after it's been born or right when it's being born, and now we're into the mode of infanticide. And when we're looking at Genesis and the bedrock of a society, one of the issues that you're going to see is the definition of what is human. And God is going to spell out to us what he says is human because he's the creator of reality and what he says goes. And you're going to see that today in the creation of man. We're only going to look at one verse and it deals with a lot of what defines humans and it deals with our responsibility that accompanies that. What you'll see from the rest of Genesis 1 on and in into chapter 2 and 3, I would say, you'll see a heavy, heavy theme of responsibility. And we'll talk about the principle of responsibility of being made in his image. But then in the preceding weeks that follow, we'll look at how it delineates the specifics of that responsibility. That being the case, the issue we're seeing in our society, because it's getting away from the Bible, it's getting away from Genesis, and it's getting away from what God says is reality, is instead of responsibility being taught to kids in K through 12 and then into the colleges and universities, what is being taught to individuals is their rights. And a lot of times those are positive rights, those that the government gives them. And because of that, you now have a new phenomenon in our culture called identity politics. And because of that, if you belong to a particular group of intersectionality, if you are a transvestite, cross-dressing, this, that, whatever, you have more rights than the average person. And unfortunately, that's the direction our country is going. We're moving away from responsibility to you have special rights. That's when you know a culture is not using the Bible. If you use the Bible and people are taught responsibility, you'll have more freedom. You'll have more liberty. The two go hand in hand. But you can't have freedom if you can do anything you want to do. That's what people want. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. Give me the right to do anything And what you end up with is a totalitarian state. That's what we're moving into. People have studied democracies. And again, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. But they call us a democracy. But anyway, in studying political science, most democracies don't last more than 200 to 250 years. They die. They go through a cycle. They start out with incredible freedom because the initiators of that democracy typically believe in responsibility. But as the cycle goes on, people become less and less responsible, demand more and more rights, and because they demand more and more rights, you have to have a totalitarian state or an authoritarian state that demands more laws upon each other. Have you ever looked at the law book of the state of California? It's about this thick, full of laws, stupid laws, ridiculous laws, because someone's rights are being violated. Honestly, you wouldn't have to have a lot of laws if people were simply responsible as human beings. But apparently people don't want to be like a human being. They want to act like an animal. When you want to act like an animal, therefore we have to have laws to curtail your animal appetites. So we're just going to look at one verse, and we're going to plunge the depths and flush it out in the application, not only on society, but for us personally. So the one passage we'll look at, verse 26 of chapter 1 of Genesis, and it says this, Then God said, let us, notice the plural pronoun, us, 
And it's a reference then, obviously, to the plurality of the Godhead. It's not a full instruction on the Trinity. We know from the New Testament looking back in that this is a reference to the Trinity. Again, it's not to the plural majesty. I know a lot of commentators will say that. And a lot of commentators will say he's referring to the angelic hosts as well. Again, humans are not made in the image of angels. So he is not talking about angels. He's talking about the triune God. Let us is a plural pronoun which refers to the Trinity. Again, it's not fully discussed, but it's there. And embedded in Hebrew scriptures in Genesis, you'll see the plurality of the Godhead. But notice what he says, let us make man. And the idea of Instead of saying, let there be, like, let there be light, and then there was light. He says, now let us. The way he's saying it in the Hebrew means that there's a momentous event getting ready to happen. And it's the creation of mankind. And obviously we'll get into that in chapter 2 as he creates Adam out of the earth, out of the dust of the earth, and forms man as a body, soul, spirit, unity, a triune individual. Again, referencing the Trinity. You'll see threes everywhere. So man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. So anyway, it's a momentous event. This is the crown of creation, is the creation of man, not the creation of a tree, not the creation of an animal. It is the creation of mankind that is the height of this creation that you're seeing in Genesis 1. And then it says this, we're going to make man in our image, according to our likeness. That then has to be explained. That's pretty in-depth. Notice that it doesn't say, like with the animals or the trees or the bushes, according to their kind. It'll say that about animals. It'll say that about trees, according to their kind. But no, it's different now. It's in the likeness of God. And... That means a lot. Let's flush that out just a little bit. Let's start out with what it doesn't mean. And this is important. You have to have a proper definition of what it means to be made in God's image if you're going to understand ethics for today. For instance, as an example, our culture is saying a baby, even in the third trimester, is not human life. They are even saying that a baby after it's born is not human life because they're going to determine whether they're going to kill the baby or not at that point. You must understand the definition of being made in the image of God in order to understand ethics in birth, but also understand ethics at the end of life. Too many people are having their plugs pulled on them by the medical community. Too many people, too many doctors, too many nurses take it upon themselves to end people's life, and no one knows about it. They're playing God. They want to pull the plug, just a little bit more morphine, shut down the breathing processes, and kill them. And no one knows this. The family won't know it. But they are executing people. And then again, they think they're putting people out of their misery, like a cat or a dog. No, they're not animals. They're made in the image of God, and you don't have the right to take their life. Only God does. He gives life and he takes it. Only he does. And so this working definition of what does it mean to be made in God's image is fundamental to our society and fundamental to our Christianity and our ethics in medical understanding. Because right now, if we ever get universal health care, which they're wanting to do, all these ethical dilemmas will come into play with the elderly. They will come into play of how the elderly is treated. Because, guys, if they can kill a baby, they can kill an elderly person. And the way they'll do it is through soft euthanasia. They just won't give you the medical treatment you need. Or just inject you with morphine, one of the two. But at the end of the day, this is the basis of our ethics towards human beings. A society does not have the right to define what humans are. Only God does. If you ask somebody, how do you define a human? And he says, by society. Society defines that human. Welcome to Nazi Germany. Because that's what Hitler did. When he said the Jews are not human. Gypsies are not human. The mentally handicapped are not human. The elderly are not human. 
He took them out. And folks, the scary part about what's going on in our society is that Hitler mentality is here. That society, they think, gets to decide what is human and what is not. So are you human? If you're in a coma for 30 years, hooked up to machines, in their version, if they put that on a baby, they're going to say no, and they will pull the plug on that person. Ask Terry Schiavo's family, all the controversy that went on with her. They didn't deem her human, not her family, but the doctors and nurses. You got people in Britain, these other doctors, making decisions on babies and whether they're going to get medical help, regardless of what the parents want. They took the rights away from the parents. You might have heard the story. And the doctors were keeping the baby hostage in the uh, hospital and wouldn't allow the treatment necessary for that baby. And that baby eventually died. This is where it's going. So this little verse sinks down to the depths of everything we understand about human beings. So we have to have a good working definition of what this means to be made in God's image. Let's start with what it's not. Number one, the image of God is not a physical attribute. Okay? It's not a physical attribute. And what that means is God is spirit, right? So he cannot be portrayed physically because that we would consider that an idol, right? So, but again, as you look at humans, not all humans have the same physical traits and same physical attributes. Some people were born without arms. Some people are born without legs. Some people have all kinds of deformities based on the, what happened to them in the fall and how it's messed up their genetic structure. So you cannot base a human being basically on their physical looks and abilities because not all human beings have the same look or have the same physical characteristics or abilities. So that's not how we define humans as made in the image of God. Number two, the image of God is not defined as an ability dependent on the human brain. Okay, that's important. And you can see the implications of this. What's dependent on the human brain is intelligence, rationality, emotions, volitional will, consciousness, sentience, and the ability to communicate. You say, well, that's a lot of what humans do. Yes, that's true for the majority of human beings. But what about a baby in the womb? A baby in the womb has no rationality. It's developing it, right? A baby is developing these things. It has no will of its own. It's developing it. So that cannot be your working definition. Because if you let them use that as saying, well, a baby doesn't have these, then you're hung. Because they'll use it on the elderly as well, especially someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's. They'll say they have no rationality. They have no emotions. They're in a comatose state. We might as well put them out of their misery because they cease to be human. You can't do that. That's not the argument. So being made in the image of God does not include anything that depends on the human brain. What if someone's born with a brain deformity? None of these will work, but are they human? Yes. Let's keep defining this, what it's not. Three, the image of God is not bestowed incrementally or intermittently. Okay, So we don't grow into being made in the image of God, nor do we lose it. So for instance, let's say you got into a car accident and you had brain damage. Would you lose the image of God because you were brain damaged and now you're in a vegetable state? See, to our world, they say, yes, you have ceased to be human. We want to put you out of your misery. But see, it cannot be bestowed incrementally. So if you take a baby, a baby is not growing into the image of God. At the minute that the egg is fertilized and you have a zygote, at that point, that is what we consider human life. That is personhood. That is being made in the image of God. And again, I haven't defined it. But you have to say it starts there. Otherwise, you're going to lose the argument with this culture. This is the fight that we're all in, and you have to know this. So, again, it's not something you grow into, not something you lose. The timing of this, again, comes at conception. 
And the end of it comes when God takes you home, when the spirit leaves the body, when the soul leaves the body, then that's the moment of death. Now, that's different than even biological death. So when I'm saying death, it's when the soul separates from the body. Because medical, they can determine someone to be biologically dead, but they're not dead yet spiritually. Their soul hasn't left. And there's been a lot of people, by the way, that have been pronounced dead, and they wake up in a morgue. Yeah, no joke. They're pronounced dead, biological dead, and just, all right, they, they put them in a body bag, and the person wakes up in a freezer at the morgue. No joke, man, it's happened. So even the medical society cannot determine it, but God says it's when the soul leaves the body. Okay. Four, again, what it's not. The image of God is not the spiritual abilities of humans. Now, that might catch you up by surprise, but you have to factor this in. What do you mean? Well, the spiritual abilities of humans include, like, belief in God, a desire to know God. They can pray. They know right and wrong. But I want you to think through that one. Can a baby have belief in God. It can't. That's why we say until the child reaches the age of accountability, if something should happen to that child, they go home to be with the Lord, right? That age of account, because they don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know right and wrong. They don't know who Jesus is. And so because of that, they're kept under grace until that time where they do recognize they're a sinner and they do need Jesus. So they're safe and secure until that time. But That can't be the definition of what you use because you couldn't put that on a small child, a toddler, or a baby. Nor could you put that on someone in a coma who is in a vegetative state who can't pray, perhaps doesn't know right and wrong or anything like that, or has a mental problem, has brain damage. So that can't be what we use. The fifth thing, what it's not. The image of God is not the immaterial nature of humans either. The immaterial nature of humans, obviously we have a soul. Until we get born again, our spirit is actually dead. So if you're out there in the world and you're not saved, people have a body and a soul. Right now, if you're a believer, you have a body, soul, and a spirit that has been born again. Okay. But understand the term soul is simply a reference to the immaterial part of you and I that animates the body, okay? This is also the same word in the Hebrew text where animals are given a nefesh or a ruach, and both terms are used for animals. So that's why animals seem, they're different than plants and trees, They are also given a soul, an immaterial part of them that animates their physical body as we've seen when God creates the animals. And also, not all humans have a spirit. Like I said, you have to be born again to have a spirit. So the question is, does the immaterial part of human beings constitute being made in the image of God? No, it does not. It does not. Because not all human beings have a spirit. And if we have the same thing as an animal, well, then what separates us from them? How are we different from an animal? What's this? What is the meaning of the image of God? It's simply this. And I have a few definitions for you. Number one, it is a position. Imagers, that's you and I, are representatives of God on earth. Humans image God's presence on earth. So understand what we're talking about. It's a position of human beings. And that position is given at conception and never leaves us. This is a creation ordinance. This is not a salvation issue, okay? So when I'm talking about creation, we're talking about all human beings, lost or saved. All human beings are imagers of the triune God, positionally. And they never lose this position, okay? Now, we'll go one step further. When we get saved, we're imagers of the Son of God, 
Jesus Christ, and we're going to be conformed to his image ultimately in our destiny. But right now, we're just talking positionally what we have, what all human beings have, babies, elderly, the sick, the mentally deranged, everybody is an imager. That's human being. One more definition. The image of God is not a quality within human beings. It is what humans are positionally is the idea. So it's not a quality, because if you did quality, some human beings would have more quality than others, and it's not. Everyone has it at the same time. And since it is a position, here's the crux of the matter. It is a a position that's been given us as human beings. We're called imagers, but it entails responsibility. And this is the hard part. God gives us this as human beings, and he says, okay, now... I expect X, Y, and Z from you. And here's where we start getting into the application of this. And again, I'm just going to deal with this in principle. I'm going to deal with this on a more general level, and then we'll narrow it down. But as we go on in Genesis, he will define specifically what that responsibility is. Now, here's the question. As an imager, you're to represent God. You're to represent God in your marriage. You're to represent God in the community. You're to represent God in the church. You're to represent God wherever you go. You're representing the triune God as an imager. And that's not even saying whether you're saved or not. You have to ask yourself, how am I doing on that? How am I imaging the one true God? The biggest way you will image him is your responsibility in obedience to him. That's the only way. Okay, And again, we're not talking about salvation, because salvation is a free gift. We're talking about representing God, representing the invisible God physically through human beings. Interesting. Okay, so what about this responsibility thing? Here's what starts happening as we start delving into the concept of responsibility. We have to understand what the opposite is of this. If God's calling us to be responsible, the devil will call us to be a victim See, the devil goes opposite of what God says. God says, you're an imager. The devil says, no, you're not. You do anything you want to do. You're a victim. That's the big issue right now in our culture. That's where the fight is, guys. Between victimhood and who's responsible. So, for instance, because victimhood is being taught and not responsibility, do you know what's happening in our school systems? All the kids are taught they're victims of something. Victim versus oppressor, that someone's oppressing them. So you know what they're trying to do? They're saying, based on your melatonin in your skin, we're going to treat you and discipline you differently. Those individuals who have darker melatonin in their skin, we're not going to discipline as heavily as the people who have less melatonin in their skin. Yeah, that's the new thing. Obama pushed that one. And we'll flush this out. What are, you, what are you talking about? He said, we're not going to discipline blacks and Hispanics the same as we're going to do white kids. Well, that's racist. How do you do that? How is that fair? Well, that's what's being taught. Where do we have too many of them being kicked out of the schools? What is a teacher supposed to do? If you're a teacher and you're in a classroom, it doesn't matter what color, skin color the kid is. If he's acting up, he needs to be disciplined. That's the way it is. That's called fairness. It doesn't matter what melatonin color you have in your skin. That's irrelevant. So now in the school systems, you're a victim and we're going to, and they said, well, they come from a different culture. And so, you know, we're going to treat them differently. That's racist. That's what happens. How about if you're part of the LGBT community? You're a victim now. See, this is all intersectionalism. Doors are wide open to you. You gotta have quotas now. Have you noticed every TV program has gotta have a gay or a lesbian on the program now? The new Andy Mack show from Disney's tween shows, and they're gonna have a character, a little tweener, you know, 13 year old come out and say, he's gay! Cause every show's gotta have them, right? You have to have quotas. Every show does. In businesses, if you work for a business, they have hiring quotas. No, we don't want to hire the most meritorious individual who's achieved more, has more experience, maybe has more degrees behind their name. We want to hire according to melatonin. That's racist. 
This is what happens when a society changes from responsibility to victimhood. Made in the image of God requires responsibility. You work hard. You earn. You achieve. That's what the Bible's teaching. We don't give anything to you if you don't achieve anything. That's not the way society works. But now because of victimhood, we're going to serve everything up to you in a silver platter. How would you like to be an Asian student that tries to get into UCLA? What do you mean? You know that Asian students obviously academically score better on the SATs, way outstanding on their grades, unbelievable. And that's not a racist statement, that's just a fact. Yet they're kept out of UCLA because they got to have darker melatonins come in. How is that not racist to the Asian students? To say, well, we, we need more blacks and we need more Hispanics, but yet they scored 400 points less than the Asian student. The Asian student busted it all their high school to get these straight A's, but we're going to let someone come in with B's. How is that fair? See, this is the problem. Responsibility versus victimhood. It comes back to an imager. Do you believe you're an imager of the triune God? If you do, you'll be responsible. If you don't, you'll be a victim all your life. And that's what's happening. Oppressor versus victim. That's Marxism. Sorry, that's what that is. And then we got to have parades for them. And then we got to have special days for them. And we got to, we got to give them time off on those days as an employer. You got to be kidding me, man. This is a Romans one mindset. And here's what's happening. Here's what's behind this, guys. What are these people who are perpetrating victimhood, who won't accept Genesis 126, an imager, responsible? What is their issue? Their issue is this. They won't embrace the fall. They won't embrace that life is unfair. The fall happened. God didn't do it. We did. Everything in this world is broke. It's jacked up. It's messed up. It's bent. And we're trying to figure our ways out of this life as best we can to get to the next life because it's broke here. What they're trying to do is, no, we can fix it. They're trying to equalize everything, make life fair, and pretend to be God, judge what's right and good, and try to even things out. And you, you can't do that. Not in this world. Hey, man, if you haven't realized, bad things happen to good people. And bad people have good things happen to them. You think it's a good thing that George Soros has all the money in the world? That dude's evil. He deserves nothing. But that's the way our reality is. Life is unfair. And until you embrace that and embrace the fall and realize what it is, you will be forever stuck like a leftist. Because that's what they're doing. That's really what the basis of this is. Life is unfair. We're all victims. Poor me. I'm going to sit in the corner and suck my thumb the rest of my life. Or I'll go into politics. Right? <laughs> Either way, and when they go into politics, what are they doing? Trying to gain power to make everything right. So they think in their minds, this is a twisted logic, I know, but they think in their twisted Romans 1 mind that they're making life better by saying we're going to give universal health care to everybody. They really think that's a good thing. That's why they're not losing sleep at night. They think that's a good thing. But it's twisted. Their logic is wrong. They believe open borders. Come on in, everybody. Who's going to pay for it? I don't know. I just love everybody. What? Hey, wait a second. You're twisted in your thinking. You may have the motivation that you want to do right, maybe, but your methodologies are not in concert with what you should do. Think about this. People who are victims, people who are victims don't understand their impact on other people. That's the fundamental hallmark of people who are not responsible. They don't understand their impact and what their behavior does to other people. Let me give you an example. Just an example, so you understand this. There's a lot of people in South America and Central America and Mexico that want to become United States citizens. Great. Come through the front door. That's all we're asking. Do it legally. Do it by our country's rules and laws, and we'll take you in. That's great. You can become a thriving citizen here in the United States. But don't break our laws. They'll say, well, Brandon, don't you understand? 
They just want a better life. Well, so do I. But does that give me the right to steal? Well, I want a better life for my kids. So should I rob banks now? Well, he's just trying to, he's trying to do better for his kids. Wouldn't you? No. The end doesn't justify the means. You, everyone in here wants a better life. Does that mean you should violate the law? But yet we have everybody down here that thinks they can. Do they understand? You think the average person that comes here illegally understands the fiscal impact to the United States and the individual taxpayers sitting in these seats today. They don't think like that. Because guess what, guys? All down south of us, every country that was started by Spain, which was Catholic, messed everything up down there. Not the people. Understand, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the mentality, the mindset. What do you mean? The Spaniards brought Catholicism with them. Thank goodness they only got as far as California up and down our coast and jacked up California. But the rest of the United States was Protestant, right? Ever studied the missions? Wow, it got really out of hand here in California with the missions. But anyway, as the missions went down there, and just a little history lesson, they brought their Catholicism with them, but they also brought the Jesuit mindset, which means we're going to incorporate the animism from the American Indians and let that blend with Catholicism. And then you had a weird mixture of Catholicism that came from Spain with this animism. And then lo and behold, later on in their history, you have a doctrine that developed in Catholicism called liberation theology. And liberation theology is a blend of Marxism with Catholicism or Christianity. And it's a hybrid. It's not Christianity. So what has infected all the Catholic churches down there religiously is Marxism. What does Marxism teach? Oppressor and victim. Oppressor, victim. That's what's being taught. That's what the kind of Christianity that's in Bethlehem and in the Palestinian authority, they say, well, there's Christians there. No, they're liberation theology Christians. It's a blend of Marxism and Catholicism or Christianity. Guess what? So then when the mindset comes and says, I'm going to come to America and get a bunch of free stuff illegally, guess where the mindset comes from? Liberation theology, Catholicism. You see, it's not, it's not a people thing. You know, please understand me. It's a religious mindset. It's a political mindset. So when someone comes over to America illegally, they don't realize that the United States pays $134.9 billion to cover the costs. Free school, free education, free health care, free prenatal, free postnatal. And then they say, well, you know, uh, they pay taxes. Yeah, but after it's all said and done, the United States taxpayer is funding $115 billion per year. Now, you think, well, that's on a big scale. But here's the deal. Victims, even in your own family, don't realize how they're impacting you. Do you have a victim in your family? They're always playing the role of the victim. Look at their behavior and how it's affecting the whole family. Poor me. Poor me, I've had such a bad life. You guys all should feel sorry for me. I'm a victim, feel sorry for me. And then they just run roughshod all over your life and do anything they want to do. And you should still feel sorry for them. That's not responsible, that's victimhood. They deny their impact. And again, this is all about responsibility, an imager being made in the image of God. What starts happening is they start thinking they're above the rules. Have you noticed in politics today, that a lot of our politicians believe they're above the rules. Certain rules don't apply to them for some reason. Have you noticed that? For instance, if you and I bleached our emails and our servers, I would be charged for obstruction of justice. And I would, you would never see me. I would go to Leavenworth and I would never get out. You would never see me again if I bleached my emails and my server. If I was part of the FBI, and I allowed a dossier to come before a FISA court that I had never verified, and then it was found afterwards it had never been verified, and it was a lie, and the FISA court approved it to surveil the President of the United States. If I was caught doing that, I would never be seen again. 
Number one, I had lied, but I also lied about saying the dossier was verified by the FBI. But we're starting to see the highest levels in our country of people who say and believe they're above the rules. Scary, isn't it? Because you have two sets of people living in America, those above the rules and the rest of all of us. This is what's called an entitlement mentality. This is a victim mentality. This is, um, I'm not responsible for lying. This is a ends justify the means type of thing that I will accomplish what I need to accomplish regardless if I have to break the law because I'm trying to equalize everything. Have you noticed that the news programs are willing to lie to fit their narrative? There's a reason behind that. In their minds, they're Captain Justice. In their minds, they're equalizing everything because they're playing the role of God. And so they're going to excuse what they do. We're seeing it all through society. They don't understand they're an imager. But what else will they do? They'll make excuses for their behavior. They'll quote Lady Gaga, and they'll say, I was born this way. Lady Gaga has my theme song, they'll say, I'm born this way. And I'm not going to be flipping about this, but I want to make a point here about this term, I'm born this way. There has been never any findings genetically that people are born with a gay gene. They've given up on that. That's not there medically, scientifically. So they have to punt to emotions. But let me ask you this question. What is Anderson Cooper, Ellen DeGeneres, Rosie O'Donnell, Don Lemon, George Taki, that's the guy on Star Trek, Dr. Uh, Sulu or whatever his name was, remember? And Milo Yiannopoulos. What do they all have in common? Well, you all know they're either gay or lesbian, right? And they're, they're out with, they're, with it and they're, they're very public. Here's the other thing you don't know. Or maybe you do. Every one of them has been sexually molested. Every one of them pre-puberty and into their teens. What does that have to do with it? Oh, it's a big deal and no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to talk about it. You see, because the mantra is victimhood, right? And so we don't want to take responsibility and fix things. So it's easier to say I was born this way. But when you find things out, and you, you dig a little bit behind a lot of this whole thing, you'll find out that one of the major, not the only, but the one of the major contributing factors to someone to going lesbian and gay has to do with sexual molestation early on in life. Now, it's not, it's not a blanket statement. I mean, it's just, it's, it's part of one of the bigger factors, but no one wants to talk about it. And there's other contributing factors, being raised by parents who pushed the kid a certain way to be either more feminine or more masculine. There's a lot of other factors, but you can't say you're born that way. And one of the major things that, that studies are finding, like from the, the organization People Can Change, 48%, at least 50% of the men surveyed said that as children or youth, they had been sexually abused by an older, more powerful person. Usually it was a male, 83 out of the 205 respondents. And in those cases, 96 considered the abuse to be a contributing factor to them developing same-sex attractions. Huh. Another report, 2009, Bisexual Health Summit revealed 74% of bisexuals have been sexually abused as children. And usually by the same sex. I'm not saying that's just the only factor, but I'm saying this. Why don't people take responsibility for what happened to them and try to fix it? Why are they just, I'm a victim, I'm, and then they pun it off to, I'm born this way, I can't change. Oh, it's because you don't want to work on yourself. Is that the real issue? You don't feel like dealing with your trauma. That's what's happening. Oh, so you're going to be the victim the rest of your life. And we all got to have a parade about that. See, this is what being an imager means. Hey, man, an imager means you're going to take your lumps in life because we're in the fall. It's going to be hard. And everyone in here can say, I've had a hard life. You might have had a hard childhood, hard teens, hard 20s, hard first marriage, hard second marriage. I don't know. But you had something hard. The issue is what are you going to do about that? 
Well, are you gonna play the victim like the world wants you to be? Or are you gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna get myself fixed. I need to get help. I need to get past this, man. And see, that's what the world won't do. That's what an imager does. An imager takes responsibility and says, I'm gonna fix this. They don't. It's an easier road, guys. It's, of course it's easier to do that. And that we're going to make it up for you. You know, you're the victim and we'll just come to your aid and do anything we need to do for you to make you feel good about life. It doesn't work that way. Let's get down to some brass tacks here. Let's get down to some nitty gritty application. That's, that's in a culture in general. And now we're going to bring it down to you and I. What you're seeing in Genesis 126 and 127 of being made in the image of God. And then next week we'll look at the dominion mandate and what that requires for us is God has given you the power of contrary choice, the ability to choose what you want to do in life and to be what you want to be. If you want to be an imager and, and, and live up to that position, you can. But if you don't, then choose the road of victimhood and live your life like that. But I'm going to tell you what, if you choose that road, you'll be stuck the rest of your life. You'll never get out of it. And that's just trying me trying to be real with you. Let me ask you a couple questions. What have you done so far with what God has given you? How have you used it? How have you responded to the options available to you, even though it was a tough road? What have you done with the options available to you? Here's the question. Have you made excuses, blaming God, blaming others? Look, I know when bad stuff happens to you that other people did that. No one's denying that. That bad people can treat you bad. But what did you do with it? What did you do with it? That's the question. As an imager, what did you do with that? Because here's the deal. With the minute you say, I'm a victim and I can't do anything because I was treated so bad, you lose ownership of your life. You lose power of your life. Victims have no power. They're just defensive. They can't do anything. And this is a big deal about being an amateur. Have you given away your ownership? Have you given away your responsibility? It's tough, I know. But do you like the results you're getting? Here's the deal. How do we give away our ownership? Because it's not something that we think through. I'm going to give away all my responsibility. It's not something we think through. It's something we just simply do subconsciously. Here's how you start giving away your power and responsibility to take control of your life. You start demanding that life be fair and just. And boy, howdy, when you go down that road of wanting life fair, you're going to end up in the same camp with the leftists. You're going to end up in the same camp with the Marxists. You're going to end up in the same camp as Hillary Clinton. Yes, you will. There's been studies done on politicians, by the way. There's papers that I've looked at and studying the narcissistic politician. And you know what they find out in these politicians? Is that early in their life, something bad, traumatic happened to them. And you know what they're going to spend the rest of their life? They're not going to spend it as a victim. They're going to spend it as getting into politics, getting power, and trying to make life fair in their minds. In their minds, not according to God's mind, but in their minds. And that's why they gravitate to politician, uh, to politics. And that's why they gravitate to education. Have you noticed there's an inordinate amount of leftists in colleges and universities? Do you know why? A lot of them have been victimized and they won't deal with it. And so they choose careers of where they can brainwash others to think like they do because they're trying to make life fair in their estimation. That's why they gravitate to that area. Let's go back to us, because this is a big deal for us. When we desire that life is just and fair, here's what starts happening. You start thinking about the way life ought to be. Okay? Now, deep down inside our soul, we know that the fall happened. We, We somehow intuitively know what it was like before the fall. We know how it ought to be. We know right and wrong when it shouldn't be like this. Bad people shouldn't be rewarded. We know that intuitively. But here's what starts happening. We become idealistic and we become perfectionists about life. 
It's like, you know, if something's not ideal, we give up. If something's not perfect, we don't even start. Because if it can't be perfect and it's not ideal, then we're just depressed or whatever. We just don't even try. But that's the, that's the mentality of thinking how the world ought to be. But when you think about how the world ought to be, you get into fantasy land. You're going to start checking out of reality. What ought not to be like this? We shouldn't have our country being taken over by Marxists. I know. But guess what? Here's the reality. There's a bunch of Marxists that are taking over. What are we going to do about that? See, that's the, that's the mentality, whether you're in reality or not. Of course, we could say it ought to be. But how should we be thinking that the next life is where it's at? That Jesus is creating the millennial kingdom for us, and we're going to be there, and it's going to be how it should be. We're going to return back to the garden. We're going to return back to how it was. But if we try to make God or try to even force ourselves to think that in this life we're going to have paradise, you're going to check out a reality real quick. And no one's going to really want to be around you. Because you're going, you know what's going to happen? Nothing will ever be right for you. And everything will have to be perfect, which can't be. You'll be an idealist. And you'll be the most negative, bitter, and critical person. And no one won't be around you. That's what happens to perfectionists and idealists. They won't embrace reality. What should be this? Yeah, I know. That comes in the next life. And then they start blaming others for their life. You know what blaming is, man? Blaming is just a diversion from the real issue. It's easier to blame. Excuses, which are typically untrue, they become like comfort food to us, man. It's like mashed potatoes and gravy and chicken fried steak, man. That's a comfort food, but that's what excuses are. Well, I couldn't do it. Whatever the excuse is, it's just comfort for us. But what does God want? He says, you're an imager. You're a human being. Embrace the responsibility that I gave you. Because if you don't, you'll check out of reality, and then you'll get stuck. And you'll never get out of that stuckness. A lot of people come to me in counseling, and they're stuck. They can't move forward. And you know what's happening? In their mind, they're holding on to what it ought to be. How my childhood should have been. How my teen years should have been. How my 20s should have been. And they're hanging on to this and they won't let it go. And the longer you, they, you hang on to it, you can't move forward. They can't move on to what God wants them to do. And so they just hang on. And they hang on to hope to people they think they're going to change. It's crazy. It's like I was reading about a woman this week. And she came to her counselor and she says, man, you know, Thanksgiving was awful. I went home and there was my mom and she was real critical again. And, you know, I was telling her I'm going to go back to school and get a degree and try to better my life and make some more money and this and that. And, and she was just real critical of me. And I just said, I don't know how to deal with her. And so the counselor came back and said, now, is this the same mom you've had for 40 years? <laughs> yeah. And, and has she always been critical? Yeah. So why did you expect anything different from your mom? And he goes, who's the crazy one here? Your mom or you? For wanting someone to be different than what they really are. And basically said, look, if you want to go get your education, do it. Why do you care what your mom thinks? She's just going to criticize you no matter what. But you know what people try to do? They try to hold out hope. Well, that person's not going to change. You just got to do what God tells you to do. But the point being is, people make them stuck. So if she would allow her mom to criticize her, she would have been stuck. Well, I guess I won't go to school because my mom thinks it's a bad idea, so I'll just continue to uh, shovel dirt out of ditches, I guess, and not go to school or whatever it is. If you don't let go of how things ought to have been, you're going to stay stuck the rest of your life, and you don't want to do that. I give this analogy, and I'll end here. I give this analogy to a lot of people I counsel. Whether you heard it from me before, here it is. There's no doubt that everybody in this room, and let me give you the analogy, was crossing the street at some point in their life, and you were struck by a drunk driver. Okay? 
You laid there on the pavement, blood coming off of you. Your both legs were broke, man, and you're on the ground. And no one's denying, man, you got hit by a drunk driver. We're not denying that, man. They called the ambulance. They picked you up. They had to take you to the hospital. They put rods and pins in your legs. And, man, you were there uh, for six months in a hospital laid up getting yourself back together again. You nearly died, right? Okay, that's the analogy. Keep with me. So that's everybody in this room. We're not denying that you got hit by a drunk driver. It happened. But here's the deal. Now you're in the hospital bed, and they're, t- they're saying, Mr. Holthouse, now we're moving you from the hospital, and we're going to move you to Health South, where the rehab center is. Okay. And we have a, a visitor that wants to meet you today, because he wants to kind of encourage you. Okay. And in walks the room, and follow the analogy. It's Jesus. And he comes to your bed, and he's on the side there, and he's saying, you were hit by a drunk driver, weren't you? I saw the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is bad, man. I have pins and rods in my legs and everything like that. And you say to him, I don't know if I'm ever going to walk again. And Jesus is going to come by your bedside and say, I agree that you got hit, but it's time now for you to rehab. It's time for you to walk again. I am not going to let a child of mine play the victim and ruin their life by not being responsible as an imager of me to sit in the corner and ruin your life by blaming me and blaming others for what happened to you. I need you to go to Health South and I need you to get out of that bed and I need you to start walking again. Your limbs have atrophied so bad because you have refused to get out of this bed. You just said, it's too painful. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. It's too much has happened to me. And I am telling you, get out of the bed. Start rehabbing and get on the right path because you're an imager. I don't let people become victims. I never was a victim and I don't want you to be a victim. And I want you to think about that analogy. As Jesus comes to the side of your bed, And he says, I acknowledge all the bad junk that happened to you. I get it. I know what happened. I was there. I saw everything that happened to you. But what are you going to do about it? Because I'm putting the responsibility on you. I'll give you all the tools you need. I'll give you every resource you could possibly imagine. But you got to use the tools and be responsible. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.